2: What's up, everyone? We are back on Let's Go There with Shira. And Ryan and Honey, Shira is out. I was out yesterday, but guess what? I'm back, and it's right before Pride season here in West Hollywood. We hope Pride June 3rd through the 5th. I won't be here tomorrow because it's the kickoff. It's happening. Um, But lucky, um, luckily, I have a very, very special guest. who You're getting used to his voice here on the station more and more. Um, If you're an OG fan, you know him from the political shows that we had what like a few years ago before the pandemic? pandemic yeah, yeah. Um, but this is Ryan Basham everyone oh hey it's the official R Squared show yes R Squared let's go there with R Squared yes <laughs> so don't get annoyed if you know I start ta- saying Ryan's name I'm not talking about myself in third person I
3: may be talking about myself in third person
2: I mean I'm a Leo so it would be more likely for me to talk about myself <laughs> in third person but I'm not going to do that I'm not going to be annoying Ryan thank you so much for being on the show today thank you for you know. having me Ryan I'm very, very happy to do the show with you. I know you've done it with Shira. Um, I can't wait for you to tell me who you like doing the show with better.
3: I mean, I don't understand the question. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh well, we have so much uh, literally going on today. I you know, I'm not gonna spread Ryan's business, but Ryan had a good time last night. We all had kind of like we were at a kickoff for Weho Pride party. We were. it was the drinks were flowing. It was
3: great. and we we was like a we had like a little mini. You know, Channel Q team thing right before that, and it was lovely. It was a wonderful time. It's so weird to be back out in the world as if you know it's like a normal thing. I
2: feel like I've been back.
3: I don't know what you've been waiting for. I mean, I mean, like big events though. Yeah. All right. You know what? You're 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 a lady about town. You. You're always at all the things. I'm like looking at your Instagram. I'm like, what is this no, queen doing right uh, It doesn't now?
2: tell the truth. It doesn't tell the truth. Well, we have a wonderful show today. I hope you are ready. Stick around. Yes, we're talking some heavy news. We're going to be breaking down the latest news about the Tulsa shooting that happened yesterday. Uh, we're going to give you everything you need to know. I'm going to talk a little bit about it uh, during our headlines coming up. But we're going to go deeper uh, coming up this hour. And then, of course, the uh, House Democrats, the House Judiciary Committee, they might be considering. Considering the Protecting Our Kids Act. And guess what? Ryan, who is a political commentator, is going to help us break all that news down. Yes. So let's get in some top of the hour news. Are you ready? So ready, born ready. Are you ready? Oh, God, let's do this. I'm not ready.
3: I'm actually quite tired today, so just stick along. You know what? Same. We're just going to stick around. You know, we're running on fumes, but it's going
2: to be great. So um, let's just jump right into the news about Tulsa. Um, four people were killed as a, gu- a gunman opened fire inside an Oklahoma hospital. Um, the gunman, described as 35 to 40 years old and armed with a rifle and a handgun, appeared to have died from a self inflicted gunshot wound, according to the Tulsa De- Deputy Chief Eric D- Dalgesh, um, And that's what he told reporters. The Tulsa police captain um, said the gunman fired that shot as officers were kicking in a stairwell door to gain access to the Tulsa Medical Building where the gunfire erupted. As many as 10 people could have been wounded in the shooting. No injuries were considered life-threatening, he said. Now, we are going to break this down because we're actually finding out more information about the gunmen, and that's uh, the national reporter from The Washington Post is going to be joining us, literally coming up in maybe about 5, 10 minutes. So stick around for that. Let's move on to a Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, because, yeah, he's talking about school shootings, but guess what? He's not mentioning guns. It seems to me there are two broad categories that underscore the problem. Mental illness and school safety. So hopefully we can find a way to come together and make some progress on this horrendous Problem consistent with our constitution and with our values. I just want him to take a nap. I want him to go away, go retire. You're awful at your job. And Republicans, he, they're all stupid. They're all.
3: (laughs) They're fired. All of them. fired. Fired.
2: And it's so annoying because you want to blame mental illness and school safety. It's political gaslighting. Yes. And you will not continue to play in my face or anyone else's face.
3: And when he says like consistent with our constitution and our values, what he means is consistent with everybody gets lots of guns.
2: Yeah. That is exactly it. Which is
3: not my values, and I'm an American too.
2: Well, let's talk about the Biden administration. On Wednesday, they announced the largest student loan forgiveness step by the Education Department, with the cancellation of 5.8 billion dollars in federal student loans for hundreds of thousands of students who attended schools affiliated with Corinthian Colleges. What happened to the church and state? The the what what's you know what I mean? No. The, yes, the church. <laughs> there's like there's a there's a a line between church and state. Is yeah. That why are we why are we like, you know, I don't know. Corinthian School is a Christian school. I mean,
3: you know, you can get federal loans to go to any accredited university even if it's a, a Christian Yeah, but one. why
2: do they get the privileges of having it first? Because what? They went to a Christian school?
3: Well, this is cuz Corinthian screwed them over. Oh. Hard. Real bad. I
2: guess, yeah. I, uh... I don't know. I'm just ready for him to pay off everybody's damn
3: stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
2: That's what's annoying to me. Yeah. We can find the money to do that, but we can't find the money to do anything else.
3: I mean... I get it.
2: Yes, they were screwed over. Yeah. But my patience is running thin.
3: No, Yes. I mean, we got to put pressure on Congress. Everybody who has power, we got to put pressure on them to do that. I mean, that's the thing. It's like we just actually have to make phone calls and write letters and stuff, which is boring.
2: <sighs> yeah. All right. Well, go to the T Report. What's happening over there? Oh,
3: here's what's up in entertainment news. This breaks my heart uh, because I'm a, such a fan of glee, because I'm that gay.
2: Oh, Gosh, <laughs>
3: gross! How dare you? Gross! Uh, so Matthew Morrison, uh, after a two-year hiatus, so, so you think you can dance came back. Matthew Morrison's over here, like being a, a, a you know one of the judges, and uh, and they get through all the initial stages. They get down to choosing tw- the f- final twelve, and then it comes out that he has been doing like he's been sending these low-key uh, sexual messages <gasps> via DM to contestants. What? Yes.
2: Okay, so I saw that headline but I wasn't sure why he ended up getting fired.
3: Yeah, because he was like he was inappropriate with at least one of the contestants. honestly,
2: and, I would have let him be inappropriate
3: so, with me. Same, but she's like I was uncomfortable.
2: Oh. I mean and to and well, to, and to be fair, to, feel that
3: way. to be fair, he's a judge and yeah. she's a contestant. She
2: could have used that to her advantage. Just yeah,
3: well, she could have, or she could have been worried that if she didn't put out...
2: He would have. Right? Yeah. But if
3: Matthew, but I would have been like, day you one know. after the competition competition is over, he can hit me up. You know what I'm saying? But it's, Ma- wow.
2: it's because it's Matthew Morrison. He is the worst. I mean, I he is an actual grinch. You know, he played one on TV. You know, look, I mean, typecasting. I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't
3: understand how, in this day and age, anybody could not realize that you shouldn't do something like that. It's like obvious, right?
2: Yeah, it is obvious. But that's your T report. We have more coming up next hour. And of-
4: let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
2: Okay, so we are back, and of course, there is more tragic news um, about the latest shooting that happened yesterday at a medical center in Tulsa, where four lo- uh, lost their lives, and joining us now is national reporter from The Washington Post, Meryl Cornfield. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So, if you could, just, I guess, give us the breakdown, because this news, it, at this point, it just feels like there's so, so many of these shootings happening. Um, right now. So I guess give us the latest news that we need to know about this one.
4: So we've just learned from law enforcement today that the shooter went into the hospital with the intention of targeting his own doctor. He was a patient um, and he had recently had surgery on his back and had said in a note that he had left behind that he um, was upset about his treatment. We don't know the details of what that means exactly, um, but we're learning more about it and um, we're learning more about him and, um, and, of course, the victims, the four people who were in that doctor's office that day and, and caught in gunfire.
3: Wow. Uh, so do we? how easy was it for him? Do we know how easy it was for him to get into the hospital? I mean, it, it seems like there were almost no barriers to entry for him.
4: Definitely. And he made it onto the second floor, too. So, um, you know, he didn't just get into the lobby and and start shooting. Um, And and of course, we also knew this since yesterday, he was carrying two guns with him, a rifle and a handgun um, and walked into the hospital carrying um, those guns. Um, we know that several people have called 911 but we don't know their identities yet um, We're learning more from police as they're gathering these records and investigating further.
2: So is Oklahoma like an open carry state? Why did was he able just to walk in and no one really blinked an eye to the fact that he was carrying two guns?
4: Um, well, we don't we don't know exactly when 9 when when 911 callers, um, called in, um, that it's possible that they, they had called in then, um, we know police responded pretty quickly, um, within a few minutes. But I think what, what also really stands out, um, you know, when it comes to Oklahoma gun law, um, is that this individual was able to purchase a gun that day. Um, actually one of the guns that he used during the shooting, he had bought just an hour before.
2: What? Wow. Is wow. it, I guess for people who don't know, what is what are the laws normally when it comes to the turnaround rate? Is it twenty four hours? Is it uh, you know 10, 10 days? What what is it normally when it comes to someone buying a gun? They don't normally get to take the gun with them. Because I don't even know that.
4: Yeah, that I mean that would vary very, very. much by the state. Um, y- yeah, uh, and and also um, I should add he he did previously have a gun so. Um, in terms of the, the length of time for a background check, um, I, I'm not sure what the, um, this, that requirement is in Oklahoma, um, but it, it could have um, been that he had already um, cleared that
3: requirement. Wow. So I I understand that people are asking about uh, opioids and if they were involved because obviously that affects your state of mind and we know he was in pain. Do we know anything more about that now or do we just know that uh, he was in pain and there may or may not have been opioids involved and they haven't disclosed that?
4: We don't know if there was if that if that's what he was um, calling for when he was requesting a different treatment. If he was asking for more opioids, um, obviously this comes to mind as there is a trial ongoing in Minnesota um, for a man who um, went into a medical office um, for the same reason, shooting five people um, over um, seeking opioids. Yeah. So um, that is of course a. a, a a question on any anyone's mind um, as they hear about this news and um, you know what what this means for doctors like this doctor um, who is taking care of patients in pain.
2: Yeah, and this also fell on the uh, anniversary of uh, another horrible event in Tulsa. Um, if you don't know about the Tulsa riots, uh, when a white mob, uh, you know, went into a black neighborhood killing hundreds in one of the worst episodes of racial violence in the nation's history. What what are, what are we hearing the community? Um, what are we hearing from the community? What are we hearing from the community uh, Gover- governor, right now in Oklahoma, about this.
4: Um, I think this has been shocking to all, um, especially um, the Muskegee mayor um, was actually from the shooter's neighborhood. Um, I thought his reaction wow. today was the most jarring of all because you know he really s- spoke from this place of this happened in my own backyard. Um, I, you know, as, as a um, an Oklahoman and um, a elected representative. Um, he, he's someone who um, you know you don't necessarily see as a as a person who uh, would be right there. But he said that he had just waved to the shooter this past oh. week.
2: No kidding. I'm. I have actual chills. Yeah, me
3: too. Wow. Yeah,
2: that's the. Wow. Well, I just want to say thank you so much. We we could continue to talk about this and hopefully we can have you more, uh, have you on again once there's more updates. But uh, that was national reporter uh, Meryl Cornfield. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
2: Okay, so we are back, and let's talk about today. The House Judiciary Committee is um, supposed to advance legislation billed as an emergency response to recent mass shootings, including the school massacre in Uvalde, Texas. The Protecting Our Kids Act, among other things, would raise the purchase age of an assault weapon from 18 to 21 An attempt to crack down on large capacity magazines and ghost guns. It does not include an assault weapons ban. Is that enough, Ryan? No, absolutely not. I mean, look, the
3: thing about um, the thing that that people get lost on when it comes to gun reform. Is that when we talk about it, we talk about it in like black and white terms, either we have gun reform or we don't. And if we have gun reform, things will be better or they won't. Yeah. In reality, there are lots of different ways that the law needs to change. And each of these, what the Judiciary Committee is working on right now is kind of a, an aggregate of several things. The ghost guns thing, uh, the bump stock loophole. Um, there, there are lots of little pieces around how you can buy a gun, yeah. who can sell you a gun, how quickly, what kind of gun you can buy. Um,
2: what about, I mean, obviously a lot of the conversation around this is like red flags. Yeah. What are like, I guess, really breaking down red flag laws, like what does that necessarily mean?
3: So so here's an example. So, uh,
2: Am I a red flag? <laughs> Not yet. Wow,
3: the way you giggle! <laughs> Relax. <laughs> listen, listen, Mary. <laughs> so, red flag laws allow uh, law enforcement, uh, usually with the consent of a, or the, at the direction of a judge, to remove guns from the home of someone who is known to be a risk. Yeah. In many states, like Florida, they don't have red flag laws. So the law enforcement can know someone's at r- a risk to themselves or others. Mm-hmm. They can even have potentially you know, criminal activity going on. And that's not enough necessarily for law enforcement to go in and take the guns. A Which red- is
2: what we've seen with recent mass shooters. Yes. Where they have been caught into things where they've either been, police have gone to their homes, have checked mm-hmm. in, and, and they have records, and yeah. they still have access to buying guns whenever they need yes, them.
3: Yes, and holding on to the ones they already have. That's the purpose of a red flag law is to create a legal mechanism for law enforcement to remove guns from dangerous people. Interesting. Yeah, and so many states don't have that, and, and Republicans are against it. They're against giving judges the ability yeah. and law enforcement the ability to take guns away from people who we already know are dangerous. And
2: that's the frustrating thing for me because like we you know, we hear Mitch McConnell, that we just played that clip of him talking about it's, it's mental health and it's school security. That's yeah. not it, and yeah, so what does that necessarily mean when it comes to what do Republicans stand for in this conversation?
3: Well, the data is very clear. Hardening schools makes very little difference there, and there are no more people with mental health issues per capita in the U.S. than any other industrialized nation. Yeah. it's just that every other industrialized nation has stricter gun laws. And
2: there's also data about people who deal with and suffer from mental health issues. Mm-hmm. They are not the ones committing the crimes. No, the crimes not. are happening to them. It's
3: something like one in ten of people. one in 10 people who commit gun crimes actually have a mental health issue. Yeah. But you are more likely to get shot if you have mental health issues than be a shooter. Yeah. So so it isn't about hardening schools or mental health, but what Republicans stand for is not taking people's guns away and there is no price too high to pay for that. So they they know better than to make it about mental health um, and hardening schools, but they know that they want to keep gun voters in their back pocket and the NRA is still powerful enough uh, that, you know, they can... They give millions to some Republicans. Millions.
2: When we're talking about the Protecting Our Kids Act and obviously the full Democratic-led House, what does that really necessarily mean? Because even if Democrats, all Democrats are on board, which they will be, Mm -hmm. do we need Republican support to make this happen? Absolutely,
3: because the Judiciary Committee will pass— this legislation in the committee and then from committee it goes to the floor of the house the house will pass it with probably party line vote with for with democrats voting for and republicans against but then um it will take 60 votes in the senate to pass this legislation on their side and there are only 50 democrats one of whom is plus minus on the gun issue Mm. so we need 10 to 11 republicans and we'll get none no Republicans will do will vote for this.
2: Well I thought we were, you know, there's this thing that I feel like Joe Biden, well President Biden, he's still very pro bipartisanship. Mm-hmm. And that for me is what's really frustrating to continue to hear. And I guess to watch and hear from the Democratic Party because that's why you know on Twitter they have the 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 nickname the Do Nothing Democrats because they're so they're so nice and they're so sweet and they allow the Republicans to kind of walk all over them and they're really rooting for bipartisanship but it just doesn't exist so it's like how do we get around needing those you know ten or eleven votes?
3: Well, uh, the the most straightforward way to get around it is in November elect a couple more Democrats because.
2: But- that here's why. Is? Yes, yes.
3: Here's why. Here's why. Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are two Democrats who will not vote to kill the filibuster. Yeah. If we get two more in there who will, that because so when you change the rules in the Senate, you only need a majority. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but don't Democrats use the like the filibuster just as much as like? Like, are, is it the Republicans that use it? I don't know.
3: Republicans do use it more. Yeah. Yes. Um, because Democrats are trying to go along to get along and compromise, but right. Republicans aren't. Yeah. So, you know, but the filibuster is not a, a thing, not an original thing. It's, le- it's about a hundred years old. It's not part of the Constitution. It's a newer thing. So Wait, it was probably it, also racist. Yes, it absolutely was. That's <laughs> it's actually, yes, this filibuster is one of the rules in the Senate that come from, you know racism, yeah. Jim Crow kind of stuff. Yeah. So it, we, there's, we don't have any business having It does no service to our society. Every other first world country has a legislature that takes a simple majority to pass legislation. Mm. We are the only country in the industrialized world that does it this way. But if we had two more Democrats who would actually vote to change the rules, yeah. then we could kill the filibuster and pass all these things that we think the Democrats should be able to do by now.
2: I think it's just, especially as we are entering into the midterms and we're figuring all of that out and you're trying to encourage voters to have the energy that we saw when we elected President Biden. Mm-hmm. I I just am not sure that telling folks just to vote is enough to excite them to get and actually make the change.
3: Yeah, I don't, well, it's also not. I'm worried about that. Yeah, I worry about that all the time too, but um, most people don't want to be more involved than to occasionally vote. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's part of it. Yeah. But uh, the another thing too though is, um, uh, you know, Political organizing is kind of this messy process. What I would love is for more Americans to get involved in, mar- you, know, you know, peacefully marching on Washington, uh, you know, for gun reform and yeah. things like that. But most Americans don't want to commit that kind of time. So the least also, you can do is are, show up and vote. Are
2: they convinced that that works? Well, and marching works. Like all of that can also be looked at as performative. Oh, absolutely. It literally, could. I mean, we yeah. saw that in 2020, and not much has changed. Yeah. Well.
3: 2020 to 2022 is not very long in the history of the democracy. Yeah. So if you look at it from a longer view, change happened. like since the 70s, so much, so many things are better. But yeah. but that's but that's you know change is slow. <laughs> what is it? Martin Luther King said something about change. Oh
0: God.
2: It, but the
3: arc, you know, it's change is slow. But the arc of oh, I forgot what it was. But the point is, it, okay, change just... happens, but it's slow. It, uh... But if we do nothing, it doesn't happen at all.
2: Wow. You know, Ryan's being introduced to my pessimistic side. I think he likes it. Thanks (laughs) so much for breaking all of that down. We have more show coming up. Do not go anywhere.
4: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
2: All right, we are back with more show. Oh, yes. It's Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. And Shira is out, but we'll be back tomorrow. Um, But right now we have uh, the amazing, the one and only Ryan Basham. Oh, go on. No, I won't, actually. (laughs) That's the only compliment you're getting for the rest of today. Well, I'm leaving. Yeah, I mean, it's only because you won't answer the question that I posed at the top of the show. Who is your favorite to work with so far? I would say right now it's you. No, not
3: right yeah. now. <laughs> not right now. I can't. I mean, why are you making
2: me pick? You need to.
3: Okay. I'll get back to you. <laughs>
2: Wow. You see how I get treated here? Uh. It's so awful. (laughs) Well, coming up this hour, we have a lot to talk about because um, schools are struggling to keep up with rising mental health issues, according to some new data. And so what should they be doing to fix this? That's coming up later this hour. And then schools are also trying to amp up the surveillance. But is that really a good idea? Because facial recognition technology... Mm. psychological impact of like being surveilled. Yeah, it, it may not be as good as they think. So stick around this hour because we have both of those conversations coming up. But right now, let's get into the top of the hour mm. news. So Peter Doocy was being a Doocy and <laughs> um, basically was talking about, I guess, you know, he asked a question to our press secretary and he was saying the White House had some very hard headlines this week about inflation and about baby formula. Did you just get tonight's speech to get people talking about something else and I think it was a pretty iconic um, comeback from Corrine who is just absolutely stunning in her yellow dress that she wore today. Mm. Anyway here is the exchange
3: you guys at the White House had some very hard headlines this week about inflation and about baby formula if there's nothing new that you can point to in this speech tonight did you just schedule it to get people talking about something else?
1: People have died. People have died uh, in the past couple of weeks. In
3: particular, uh, we had 19 kids die in Uvalde just recently. A mass of a mass shooter uh, came into their classroom and killed them, plus their two teachers. We had uh, we had people doing everyday things on a Saturday, like some of us do, go to the grocery store, and ten of them were murdered. Uh, just last night in Tulsa, we're le- we're learning of people who were uh, again. Killed. So this is not about politics. This is not about partisan politics here.
2: Peter Ducey, please go away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care for you, Peter. No, it's just like why ask these questions? It's I I think this that even feels like a new low for him if I'm being quite honest. I mean, it's
3: so bad that part of me wonders, is he a plant? Like, did they pay him to give them, like, really great setups for a gotcha line? Like, how is this real?
2: No, it it's not real. Um, but unfortunately, we don't really have as much time for a tea report, but you can tease it, and we can do it next hour.
3: Oh, I'm just going to say it has to do with Kim Kardashian and going number two.
2: <gasps> wow. Man, I want you to say that now. I want you to <laughs> Okay, never mind. We'll come back. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, a survey released uh, last week says documents the toll uh, the pandemic has taken basically documenting the toll that the pandemic has taken on students' mental health with seven in 10 public schools seeing a rise in the number of children seeking services. Even more, 76% said faculty and staff members have expressed concerns about depression, anxiety, and trauma in students since the start of the pandemic. Now I, if this is just the results of the pandemic. I can only imagine where children's states are and student states are at this point now where mass shootings are happening every single other day, you know? Yeah. And so joining us to speak about this is uh, Liz Dexter Mazza, who's a licensed psychologist, also works in education, and we always love having her on to talk about these things. Thank you so much for joining the show.
0: I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me.
2: So it's so wild. I think for me, what comes up here, why are schools having such a hard time right now trying to figure out how to help students' mental health?
0: You know, I think the biggest piece is because schools are used to being reactive and helping students once they're struggling and being able to provide services for them. And they're just overwhelmed with the number of students that are struggling that they don't have enough school counselors, school psychologists, social workers, mental health therapists in the building to actually meet the needs of their schools in that way. And as many of them, as we've read in the article, are trying to um, provide social-emotional learning at a more universal level, finding the space to um, fit these curriculums into their schedules is often very difficult and takes a lot of work and preparation and shifting from the school perspective.
3: Isn't this also complicated by a move in some states to ban social-emotional learning because they say it purportedly opens a door for uh, for critical race theory and all these other boogeymen?
0: That is definitely one of the barriers that it has recently just started to pop up around um, what are the different curriculum and are they purporting critical race theory or not? And so, yeah, in some places, the curriculums are being taken out, the ones that were there, which, again, this is the time that we don't need to take mental health and social emotional learning away from our kids. We need to be providing more of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. And it feels like, is it too late to get ahead of this? Because it is what it is. And to be honest, kid, I think a lot of adults feel like kids don't see these things outside of the school. But they do. They're hearing and they're watching the news. They're reading Twitter. They're reading social media mm-hmm. and they're seeing what's going on in the world. How do you even I don't know, how do you even deal with that? How do you even kind of get ahead of this now at this point?
0: Yeah, I don't think it's too late to get ahead of it. I think our kids are watching to see how we react and if they see the adults are talking about these issues and focusing on how to regulate their emotions effectively around these issues. The kids are going to pick it up. And even more so, the more we teach this to the kids, the kids are talking to each other before they talk to us as adults. Mm. So just providing that support, that validation, and that understanding of their emotional experiences will make a difference. And I wholeheartedly believe that, that it's never too late for us to start teaching the kids this, Um, especially as early as kindergarten and as late as college, right? All people need these skills to understand their emotions. And to engage effectively.
3: Well, uh, Dr. Liz, can I call you Dr. Liz? Is that okay? <laughs> of course. <yeah. laughs> right, great. I, uh, you know, I just—it's fascinating that you're that you're doing this work, and I'm wondering—you know—I'm a gay of a certain age, you know, and old. I, I mm-hmm. and I'm old, and uh, and I remember being in high school uh, several many decades ago, and um, and noticing—you know—in hindsight, it was obvious to me that there were so many kids around me that ha- were struggling on some level, yeah. and mm-hmm. I wonder—you know—what do we know about what's new? Uh, in the you know psychological experience of kids versus stuff that was already there but not spoken about or identified or there wasn't a, a space to be even asked the question like how's your mental health
0: you, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we know that the numbers have likely increased significantly since I am also old. When I was in <laughs> high school, and and the schools also did not provide the resources for it, and they didn't the the resources or the space for it to be discussed. Um, And so we had a lot of missed opportunities back then, and now that kids are talking about it and there's less of a stigma around mental health and needs for outpatient services, um, kids are all talking about it, and it's present. And with social media, everybody knows everything that's going on, and we're just a lot more exposed, which is why I think we're seeing those numbers go up. We know just with the impact of social media in the mid-2000s, 2010s, when uh, Facebook and all of that, um, Instagram all started, we we saw a direct correlation with increase in depression and suicide in teenagers.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I wanna kinda go back before we wrap this up. You were really speaking about teachers being the example that students can learn from, but I can't Mm -hmm. help but think about teachers also dealing with their own mental health issues and trying to push through and and find a smile to push to the students that are watching Mm them. What can they do to push through that? We should be also focusing on teachers' mental health as well.
0: Absolutely. I do a lot of trainings for teachers on how to teach social-emotional learning curriculum, and we always talk about how the skills that we're going to be teaching the students are just as relevant and useful for the kids, I mean, for the teachers themselves. How do they be mindful of their own emotions, and how do they talk about honestly invalidating what they're experiencing with their kids? Um, we're not asking teachers to teach them something that they don't use themselves, mm. that these are the mm. social emotional learning skills everybody needs. Um, well, because our students, our teachers are struggling just like our students.
2: Well, I just want to say I always appreciate the work that you do. You're you're always so wonderful. I mean, we actually met um, through I mean the internet, but through the, during sure. the pandemic, and it's always been so amazing what you and your your husband do for education and the work that you all do. Thank you. So, thank you so much I for always being on the show. We you. really appreciate you. Anytime. Thank you. All right. Well, let's keep this party going uh, because, you know, we're going to stick on schools because we're going to talk about school surveillance now. Um, Because, yes, we have to talk about mental health, but couldn't surveillance probably hurt that as well? Well, let's find out. We'll talk about it in a minute. Don't go anywhere.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?